Good morning, good morning. I think I heard a collective sigh of relief this past Wednesday as our nation experienced the peaceful transfer of power to a new president and a new administration. I mean, regardless of your political beliefs, I think we're all ready to turn the page and see what this new era will bring. I don't often quote from a country song, but I like the lyrics from the Tim McGraw and Tyler Hubbard song, Undivided, where it says, I'm tired of looking left or right, so I'm just looking up. Looking up. To me, that echoes the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, where he says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In all things, that's good advice. Let's look up to the Lord Jesus, see him high and lifted up as our rock and our cornerstone, as our hope, as our reason for being, the one who transcends our earthly squabbles and whose kingdom rules over all. And as to our personal behavior in the coming season, this is how I think God's word would challenge each of us to act, challenge each of us to, to treat people. It's very simple. Psalm 34, verse 14, seek peace and pursue it. That's it. Seek peace and pursue it. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, search for peace and work to maintain it work to maintain it. We have a, all have a job to do when it comes to making the future better than the past. We all have a part to play, a responsibility to work for a better future. So use that verse in the coming months as the filter for how you talk with people, how you talk about people, how you spend your time and energy, where you, uh, what you post on social media and all the rest. Are you seeking peace and working to maintain it? If not, then you're out of step with God's will. So let's all seek peace and work to maintain it. Okay, our scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 18, verses 23 through 28. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we're going through the New Testament book of Acts, which tells the story of the growth of the church. Uh, we're in the last few chapters, which now follow the exploits of the Apostle Paul, as he journeys around the rim of the Mediterranean Sea, spreading the gospel and planting new churches. Uh, we're seeing that many of the problems he faced parallel our own situation today, from racism to political intrigue. But now he's traveling around the cities of ancient Turkey, and something happens that will eventually draw him to the city of Ephesus. Here's what it says, Acts 18, starting with verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he, only, he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go on to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For, the, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving to, from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. May God add his blessing to this reading of his world word. 
When I was a kid, I loved to get up early Saturday mornings before my parents were awake and go downstairs to the family room to watch cartoons. I especially loved the Bugs Bunny show and all the characters that came along with it. You know, Daffy Duck, the Tasmanian Devil, Foghorn Leghorn explains a lot about me and my sense of humor and poor Donna has had to put up with that all these years. But there's one cartoon character that really stands out in my mind today, Wile E. Coyote. Do you know him? Poor guy, out in the western deserts, all he wanted to do was catch the Roadrunner, have a little chicken barbecue, can't blame him for that. But the Roadrunner was always too fast. Wile E. Coyote could never catch him. The Roadrunner would just kind of leave him in a cloud of dust. Well, Wile E. Coyote sort of saw himself as this genius inventor. And so he'd come up with some wild contraption to up his speed and gain an edge on the Roadrunner. In every episode, some new gizmo from the Acme company would arrive in a box and he'd put it all together. One week it would be a, a rocket jetpack, uh, the next week a helicopter made out of an old washing machine, or, or then maybe atomic-powered uh, rollerblades. Something that would give him that extra speed. But nothing ever worked out the way he planned. The Roadrunner could run so fast, he could practically defy the laws of gravity, travel from one flat-top mountain mesa over a deep valley, and land safely on the other side. But when Wiley Coyote chased after him, he'd get about halfway across the chasm, and his jetpack would run out of gas, or his homemade helicopter would fall apart, or his atomic skates would just blow up. And he'd hang there in midair for a second or two, just kind of helpless until the laws of gravity finally kicked in, and then all you'd see was Wile E. Coyote's body getting smaller and smaller and smaller as, as he falls to the bottom of the deep canyon, and then just this little poof of dust at the end. He'd always make it halfway. Sometimes going halfway is a bad idea. Times when halfway is just not good enough. Trying to leap across the canyon, you want to make it all the way. Or an airplane. I don't want to be on an airplane that only makes it halfway to its destination. Or when a child is sick, you don't want to make it halfway to the bathroom, right? And faith in Christ, that is also one of those things where you don't want to go just halfway. Halfway doesn't cut it. Halfway isn't good enough. Halfway ends up in a puff of dust at the bottom of a canyon. Halfway faith is a real problem today. And it was a real problem in the early church as well. The section of Acts 18 that I just read is the first of two similar stories about halfway faith. And this is a good example of how the chapter divisions in the Bible are sometimes arbitrary. When Luke wrote the book of Acts, there were no verse numbers or chapter headings, no paragraph divisions. He just wrote everything straight out. The chapter and verse numbers were added later to help people in their study of Scripture. The chapter headings are not divinely inspired and can sometimes be in the wrong place, and this, I think, is one of them. This story of Apollos is so closely connected to the next story that begins chapter 19 that the two should actually go together. Because in both passages, it talks about people who have a sincere faith, but they weren't where they needed to be. They had an incomplete faith because they only knew or only understood the baptism of John. Well, do you remember John the baptizer? He's the prophet who came right before Jesus, sort of his forerunner, who baptized Jesus and actually helped launch Jesus's public ministry. Go back and read chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark if you want to get that background, Mark chapter 1. 
We sometimes forget that John was a big deal. I mean, a huge deal. Massive crowds followed him before Jesus came on the scene. He was a phenomenon. He was a fiery preacher who boldly told of the coming of this Messiah, who said that people better repent, better get ready for this new king. John's message, it doesn't hit us today like it hit the people back then, because, you know, we have this kind of full screen view of what God was doing in Christ. But to the people of John's day, his message kind of hit like a sledgehammer, the coming of God's king. I mean, that really got their attention. And he wasn't like all the phony prophets of today that we hear about whose predictions just never match up to reality. What John said came true. And his incendiary rhetoric got King Herod's attention. His commitment to call out sin got John arrested and eventually got him beheaded. But as great a prophet as he was, John only preached a message of repentance, of preparation. And that's where his message ended. It was a true message but it was incomplete because there was no personal encounter with the saving work of the Messiah. As Paul and the other followers of Christ were going around the ancient world spreading the word about Jesus as the Messiah, they started running into people who only knew about the baptism of John, and one of these was this man, Apollos. Apollos, we're told, is from Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria was a city of scholars and was famous as a place of learning. It was far from Jerusalem, but at the time, uh, historians tell us about a million Jews lived there. So the word about John's message in Israel, his message of repentance and the coming Messiah, it had traveled all the way to Alexandria through the Jewish community. And later, so had some of the teachings about Jesus. But the distance had dampened or clouded the message. Remember at this time, there was no New Testament. The events of the New Testament were happening. They hadn't been written down yet. So Apollos had heard about Jesus, you know, but just bits and pieces, and some important pieces were missing. He just hadn't heard the whole story about Jesus, about the meaning of the cross, the miracle of the resurrection. All he really knew was uh, what he understood was repentance before God. Now, a repentance-only faith is only halfway there. A repentance-only faith puts all the focus on you. It's about something you do, but it stops there. You feel bad, you feel bad for your sin. Uh, you turn away from it. You recognize your lostness before God. Repentance is a good message. I mean, it's one our nation desperately needs to hear. But by itself, repentance-only turns into a religion of harsh discipline, of guilt, of constant remorse. Repentance might turn people toward God, but it doesn't give them any positive power by which to live. And that's what John the baptizer said would be available when the Messiah came. In Matthew 3.11, John says, There is one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to carry. I have baptized you with water as a symbol of the forgiveness of God gives, but he will go further. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will put life into you. He will give you power. He will pour into you what it takes to live as God acts. That I can't do. So if all I know is repentance, that puts the whole focus on me. It's, it's something I do. It's my effort, my decision. It's a way for me to feel good about how religious I am. But Apollos had seen the need for repentance and even recognized Jesus as the Messiah, but he little, knew little or nothing about what that really meant. He knew very little about Jesus as Savior and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So at this point, he knows about Jesus, 
but he doesn't really know Christ personally. And since he doesn't know Christ personally, there's no infusion of the Holy Spirit to power his faith and to graft him to God. Apollos doesn't yet know grace, God's free gift of salvation. Apollos doesn't yet know grace. Right now, his faith rests on his own efforts. He's trying to be good. He's repenting in his own power. But you can't experience grace that way. Grace is God's work on our behalf through Christ's death and resurrection. The great motto of the Protestant Reformation kind of hammers this home. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Apollos didn't really know that. Salvation is all God's work, not something we achieve, but something we receive as a gift. And Apollos doesn't know sins paid for and forgiven. He doesn't know the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit comes in power to enable us to live this new life in Christ's freedom from guilt. Repentance is just the beginning with God, but it's as far as we human beings can go by ourselves, but it doesn't give us life. Apollos is sincere. He just doesn't know the whole story. I think there are a lot of sincere seekers out there, sincere people who are on a pathway towards God, people who have an interest in Christ, who know they need something in their lives, they're not sure what, and they need someone who can point them in the right direction, and maybe that's you, someone who can share with them the simple gospel message. There are people who are ripe for faith, just like Apollos, people God has prepared, who are halfway there. And they just need that gentle, loving push in the right direction. In my previous church in suburban Philadelphia, there was a young man named Dave who stopped into the church just out of the blue. He was a student at Villanova University, which was just a couple of miles down the road. And he was taking a religion class, and he had to write a paper on some religion, any religion. He just had to pick one. So just by chance, he was driving by the church, saw the sign, pulled in, but you know what? It wasn't by chance. It was actually a divine appointment. So he asked to see a pastor. We sat in my office and he told me he had this paper to write, got out his notepad and asked, what does it mean to be Presbyterian? Well, I shared with him from the scriptures and told him about what it meant to be a Christian. I said a little bit about Presbyterians, but mainly just about Christ. And after about an hour, he put his pen down, said thanks, and then he left. And I thought, you know, that was that. A year later, Almost to the day he came back, we sat in my office again and he said, you know, I've been thinking about our talk all year and I've been reading the New Testament all year and I've been asking my, you know, Roman Catholic professors lots of questions and I'm just not satisfied with their answers. I'd like to become a Christian. Can you help me with that? Well, yes. I mean, you talk about low-hanging fruit. God had been working in his heart and he was ready. He was more than halfway there. He just needed someone to help him over the line. And so we went into the sanctuary. He knelt on the steps to the chancel. And I led him in a prayer, and he turned his life over to Christ. And afterwards, as we were processing, you know, what had just happened, I asked him if any of his college friends were asking any of those same questions. He said, yeah, we talk about this stuff all the time. And so I asked, well, would you be willing to get them together, and I could come over and maybe talk about their questions. And he said, sure, he was eager to do it. We ended up having a Bible study with a group of about 15 or so of his college friends for the whole next year. Most of them were also ripe for faith and gave their lives to Christ. Now, Dave, he had some serious ups and downs in his life, but Christ got him through it. 
He ended up going to seminary. He's now a Presbyterian pastor in the Baltimore area. You see, some people are just ripe. Halfway there, they just need that gentle, loving push. Apollos needed someone just to notice him, who would take an interest in him and help him to go that second half. And it wasn't the Apostle Paul. It was a cu this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, this dynamic duo. They didn't wait for the big guns to arrive. They didn't wait for the big kahuna. They didn't wait for Paul to come to town. They saw what was going on. They saw the opportunity. They took it. Their eyes were open, and when they saw an opportunity for Christ, they took it. I love verse 26. It says, When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited Apollos to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They welcomed him into their home, offered him the simple gift of hospitality and a home-cooked meal, and in the process spiritually took him under their wing to guide him, to train him, to disciple him, in the way of Christ. In a very condensed way, that one sentence describes the beautiful process of building a spiritual friendship that leads a person to a deeper, full relationship with Christ. Do you think you could do that? Do you think you could do that? Notice someone who's spiritually seeking. Offer them hospitality. Invite them to your home for a meal. Get to know them and then guide them in the way of Christ. Why not? Why wouldn't Christ use you in that way? What's holding you back from being that kind of Christian? Because God knows there aren't enough pastors to go around. You know, one of the worst things that has happened this year because of the COVID restrictions is that our homes have been closed to this kind of hospitality, this kind of ministry. We can't have people over for a meal, can't welcome people who are new to the community, welcome, have them come over for a backyard barbecue. We, we can't have people in our homes for Bible study or prayer. I mean, that is one of the things Don and I have missed the most. We regularly, weekly would have people in our home that way. But let's look ahead. Let's be ready for when things open up and the restrictions are lifted. God needs you to step up your game and be open to the opportunity to help a spiritual seeker cross the line, to be nurtured and discipled in the faith. When things open up, when we get past this pandemic, I believe there's going to be great opportunity for Christians to practice hospitality, to open their homes, invite people in, to share a meal, to help people explore what real Christianity is and to dispel so many of the negative stereotypes that have built up about what the Christian faith is all about these last few years. We've got a lot of damage to repair on the meaning of the word Christian. We're going to have to be more intentional about helping direct people to the risen and reigning Christ. We're going to have to need to be more intentional about this, purposeful, looking for opportunities where God has already planted the seed. God just needs you to be on his team, eyes open, eager, able, willing to reach out and extend yourself to others. God will plant the seed. That's his job. He just needs someone like you to help with the harvest. And that could be you. That should be you. But there's another kind of person that's halfway there. Ever heard someone say, a little religion's okay, but, you know, don't take it too seriously? It's usually the sentiment of people who were raised in some kind of a church environment, but the message never never really penetrated their heart. I remember years ago when I was getting ready to go on my first mission trip to Africa, I had to get uh, all kinds of shots, including an inoculation against yellow fever. 
what happens is you get injected with a bit of the virus so that your body can develop antibodies to fight the full-blown form of it if, the issue, if you should ever get the disease. It's basically what's happening now with the vaccine against the COVID virus. Well, it's possible for people to be inoculated against Christ, injected with a little religion that then fends off the real thing, kind of a low-grade infection, but then they don't embrace the real faith. Maybe they had a bad experience with the church as in their past, or maybe what was taught just didn't stick, or the pull of the world was too strong, or people who think, well, you know, I must be a Christian. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Hindu. I'm not Muslim. I grew up in a Christian home, so I must be Christian. My parents were Roman Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian, so I must be Christian. I was baptized as a child, went through confirmation, and that's that, you know. I believe there's a God out there somewhere, kind of a, you know, God helps those who help themselves type of faith. Well, friends, that's Ben Franklin. That's not the Bible. But people settle for that, and that's a halfway faith. It won't get them all the way there. So there are lots of reasons why people only go halfway. But that kind of religion is actually hard. There's no joy in religious duty, no power to overcome, no new direction or vision for life, no connection to the living Savior. That kind of religion, it's discouraging. That's why people drop out. And that's why we need to be so passionately Christ-centered. There's no power, no grace, no celebration in a faith that just settles for halfway. You've got to go all the way with Christ. People need a personal transformation of the heart through their encounter with the living Christ. And that is the key to everything. And there's a huge difference between the two. I'm so glad that God orchestrated it so that Apollos ran into the right people, Priscilla and Aquila, who were ready to gently lead him all the way to Christ, into a deeper experience of grace and the Holy Spirit. That's where we want to be today. That still happens today. And that's where we want our congregation to be in the months and the years ahead. Eyes open for opportunity. Hearts willing to engage. Homes of hospitality for Christ spiritual friendships that can help people go all the way to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you just for this example of how we can have a dramatic impact on the lives of others. You've already planted the seed. You just need us to help them go the rest of the way. Help us to have the courage to do that, Lord. Help us not to make excuses about, well, I don't know enough or my faith isn't good enough or whatever. Help us to get past that and do the kind of study and and uh, reading that we need to do so that our faith is good enough and strong enough and knowledgeable enough so that we can share our faith intelligently with other people. Help us not to settle ourselves for some kind of a halfway faith, Lord. And many of us, maybe we've been in neutral. We've just kind of put our faith in neutral and we haven't really gone the distance, Lord. We need to do that even now, Lord. May you inspire us. May you spark that flame within our hearts, Lord, to go all the way with you, not to be a halfway disciple, but to be fully embraced by your grace and love and be so enthusiastic about that, Lord, that our enthusiasm spills over onto others. Give us eyes to see, hearts willing, homes open, the right words to say, and the joy of seeing new people come to fruition in the body of Christ. We thank you for all that. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.